You're listening to What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Check out all our shows at greenlitpodcast.com. Content warning. Demonic possession, nuclear war, and cruelty to Jeff Johns. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Superman was part of the song, yet an instrument in the orchestra of Earth. He was not, in the overall scheme of things, an outsider. He listened to the world, sitting in one of its most desolate spots, and he began to put together the pieces. He heard the howls of wolves, the roiling of cyclones, the bouncing of children's balls, the sounds of his own digestive system, the clicking of the mandibles of ticks attaching themselves to the skin of dogs' ears. Everything working together to create an ineffable symphony. Maybe Superman today was the first one to ever hear the music that Earth made in totality. Maybe, on the other hand, every human who ever composed a concerto, wrote a song, whistled a tune, or listened intently to the heartbeat of a woman carrying a child, had heard the song of the Earth in his or her peculiar set of perceptions. Maybe Pythagoras, Mozart, and McCartney had heard the song, had spent their lives trying in their primitive way to imitate it. Maybe every whippoorwill and meadowlark Superman heard today was imitating the Earth as well. Maybe that is what Superman had been doing, bouncing to the rhythm of this planet that teemed with life and melody ever since he first arrived on Earth. Miracle Monday, 1981, by Elliot S. Maggie. I can actually see the machinery and wire connecting and separating everything since it all began. This is how he sees all the time, every day, like, it's just us, in here, together, and we're all we've got. All-Star Superman, 2008, by Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe, um, podcast about pulp. Usually we talk about um, fairly older, obscure things, but today we're talking about Superman, specifically uh, Miracle Monday by Elliot S. Magan. There's an exclamation mark after the S, so we're not going to do that through the whole episode. Um, uh, with me, as always, is Adam. Hello, and who are you, pray tell, good sir? Oh, I'm Philip Rice. Hello. <laughs> with me, as always, is Adam Prosser. That's okay. Uh, keeping things professional. <laughs> and uh, we're joined today by our friend Charlotte Finn. How are you doing, Charlotte? I'm doing okay. How are you all doing? We are doing good. We're talking about Superman, and we all like to do that. <laughs> yes, yes, we absolutely do. 
And, uh, yeah, Charlotte is our number one Superman fan on Earth that we're aware of. Uh, so, uh, she's written for, uh, Comics Alliance and a few other places. She's written some, uh, uh, well, I, Charlotte, here, you just describe your relationship to Superman in, in, if you can, for us. Oh, okay. Uh, not a lot to talk about with, uh, regards to Superman, so naturally we're going to do it for the next 90 minutes, <laughs> but where I personally come from with Superman is... And what appeals to me about the character is that when you say he is a very complex and layered and nuanced individual and concept, you're right. And when you say he's a very simple idea, the idea of a man with great power who, given that he can do anything, chooses to do good, that is also right. He is simple, and in that simplicity, he contains a fascinating amount of complexity and of course the core idea getting all the way down to the simplicity of it is given that he can do whatever he wants to do he has chosen to do good yeah yeah it's uh i i think it was voltaire who said what is freedom but a chance to be better and i think that's uh that's a good summation of superman um which is really really cool and that is the hopeful message at the heart of superman which is that you can have all this power and you don't have to be cynical about it that there's the fantasy of someone who does good is just as much a fantasy as the fantasy of being able to leap tall buildings and punch out locomotives um which is kind of cool um so today we're we're going to speak. We're you know uh, this is the 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 latest in our little mini series within the series the season that we've been doing uh, about uh, tie-ins to various um, uh, other uh, media other media franchises uh, in book form. Um, we did one about Star Wars. We did a Star Trek. We did a Doctor Who, and we're capping it off with uh, this book, a Superman novel, a novel about Superman. Um, yep. called uh, Superman Miracle Monday, which was published in 1980, uh, 81, sorry, uh, in the wake of, um, you know, there was, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, there uh, Megan did uh, one Superman book that was right to tie in with the movie, correct? I believe that is Last Son of Krypton, yes. Right. And, um, um, uh, like, um, it's not set in the movie's continuity. Neither of these are, but they had <laughs> Christopher Reeve on the cover and like they were advertised that way. But uh, neither really conforms with what the movie showed, at least in terms of, you know, backstory and stuff. It's like how uh, when they released the Dante's Inferno video game, they released a <laughs> new version of the Dante's Inferno uh, epic, but with the video game cover on it, except nothing like that because that's absolutely depressing so forget <laughs> i said anything but uh yeah so um <clears throat> superman uh is of course a character who was created in 1938 by uh, jerry siegel and joel schuster um who uh was uh not really the first superhero despite being described that way um as people have known for quite a while characters like doc savage and the shadow uh, existed before them, they could be considered superheroes. There are lots, there's a very wide range of what you may or may not consider a superhero. Like, um, uh, we covered uh, early on in, in the show, uh, Hugo Danner from Gladiator has a lot 
in common with Superman, even though he's very different in a lot of other ways. Right. As as uh, we mentioned in that episode, um, Gladiator uh, and Hugo Danner were likely an influence on... We sort of came down on the idea that it was likely an influence on Superman, but it's possible they never actually read Gladiator, Siegel and Schuster. They just knew... Um, like they had been influenced by someone who was influenced by yeah. it, kind of thing. Um, but it's it's very hard not to read Gladiator and see the influence on Superman, as with Doc Savage again, whose name is whose first name is Clark and who has a Fortress of Solitude, um, and is the Man of Bronze instead of the Man of Steel, etc. Yes, yeah, that too. Um, and of course, you know, you can go all the way back to Hercules and so on for uh, for superhero yeah. characters if you want. Um, but Superman was kind of the crystallization crystallization of the superhero concept in uh, in the way that you know cemented him in the pop cultural consciousness. Um, I think a big thing was the strong visual aspect of the costume. I think that's a key element. Uh, the secret identity, which again, is, he wasn't the first one to have a secret identity, but tying it in in that particular regard, the super, secret identity characters before that, I was going to say mostly didn't have superpowers, but I guess the Shadow had a secret identity as well. Um, you know, again, there's it, it's all a bit of an amorphous blob until it kind of crystallizes into Superman. But uh, yeah, the, <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. The secret identity people you mentioned before. Are they typically men of means, rich people, or at least well-to-do? Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, that's a good point. Like, like you could then make the argument that even if the, one of the things that uh, Clark Kent and Superman solidify is the secret identity as just a schmo. Hmm. That is a good point. I yeah. had not thought of and that. And of course, you can draw a line directly from there to Peter Parker and Miles Morales and all the other everyman characters that create are core to the Marvel Universe. Hmm. Uh, Clark Kent being a reporter was actually like that was, you know, a, li a very lionized profession at the time. They were seen as someone who was and, and you know, it's very much a man of the people thing as well to be a, to be a reporter, uh, you know, to be to there were a lot of uh crucial crusading reporter journalists and reporters at that time you know people like uh uh, uh upton sinclair and and uh people who had really you know exposed the lid on corruption and of course famously that's a lot of what superman did in his very early days he tended to as people have pointed out if you read the really early superman comics he doesn't go after supervillains and it doesn't go after like muggers he goes after crooked landlords and he goes after you know wealthy uh you know there's there's a one uh, or two war, stories where yeah there's war profiteers war uh, profiteers, yeah. uh wife beaters uh yeah it's uh he stops uh yeah, he stops an ex execution in his first issue i believe yep like I think you could say that they hadn't really invented the supervillain yet, and so in order to give the protagonist someone to use his incredible powers against, they just looked out the window and wrote about that. <laughs> and as contrasted to that intro, where Superman is able to hear an entire planet in his moment of darkest grief. Yeah. 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 This is definitely Superman at or near the height of his power, firmly rooted in the late era of the Bronze Age. Yeah. 
when people talk about power creep Superman, they are typically talking about this. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting that um, and it, I, I actually remember reading uh, the Superman comic strip, which might I, I'm not 100 percent sure about this, but that actually might have been the first appearance of Superman's origin. Um, like in the st when I say the strips, I mean like literally the newspaper comic strip, which ran around the same time as the comic book. He was introduced in a comic book, but they introduced a comic strip uh, in the newspapers very quickly. And uh, the origin was given that he was from the planet Krypton, but Krypton wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Red Sun and all that stuff. It was uh, that Krypton was literally several times larger than the planet Earth. Actually, so I he think basically a few had... times it was actually depicted that everybody on Krypton just had powers. Like, um, they were that far advanced of us. Like, they had evolved. That's where the Man of Tomorrow uh, name comes right. from. Um, and yeah, then, that, was the, that was the idea of having him be from outer space, was that he was, like, a super advanced entity, a yeah. bigger, you know, better, better than any of us. I, but I recall a few panels I, of, like, Kryptonians just leaping from building to building, like, in <laughs> on their planet. I think it was later, as his powers go up, they had to explain, so... Um, it right. became like a John Carter situation where the planet's just much bigger, right. so lower gravity. And right. Then you know right. he can he it, can he has X-ray vision because on Krypton the atmosphere is so thick you have to have X-ray vision to see anything. You know that sort of thing. Mm. And then they finally just came up with yep. the yellow sun thing that just you know. Yeah, there's it's it's funny how like when Superman was first published, there was a I believe one editor actually when it's, sorry not published when it was first created and pitched by Siegel and Schuster, um, I believe one editor literally turned it down and said, well, you know, this is too juvenile, and these are you know they were publishing comic books for children, and this person said, well, it's too super, it's too uh, too juvenile a concept, it's not uh, it's not sophisticated enough, which is which is really interesting because. You know, there's so much, for lack of a better term, philosophy you can get into with Superman, and do, and and can, and it does touch on, you know, philosophical ideas that people have had over the years, not yeah. uh, Nietzsche, of course, being one of them, but going back to the ancient Greek philosophers. And I don't think Siegel and Schuster, who were literally teenagers when they came up with this, and not sort of, you know, university hotshots as far as I know, um, they weren't trying to pack in all these like super intellectual ideas. They were just trying to do something that would appeal to, to kids at the time. But you very quickly can get like it, it didn't take long to get into you know the ideas of oh what what does this mean? What's the importance of Superman? Uh, so we should probably get into the book itself, um, right? Which yep. is uh, as Charlotte was saying uh, from the Bronze Age. So that's um, a period in comics where they were trying to be more. Uh, socially conscious more um realistic's the wrong word but more uh true to how people act like the dialogue got a little more uh naturalistic um yeah mar it was marvel marvel comics began in the early 1960s but uh it's important to remember marvel was a bit of a an underdog for most of its you know heyday uh in the 60s the Stanley Jack Kirby era, it did not actually outsell DC until the end of the 60s. That's the point where DC and other superhero comics publishers really jumped on the bandwagon and started following a lot of the stuff that uh, Marvel had brought in. Up till that point, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a point right around 66, 67, where you go from uh, Adam West Batman and very goofy, uh, very kid-friendly Superman having very strange surreal adventures 
to something much closer, both in terms of how the stories were told and the content of the stories. It was a little darker, a little more adult. Uh, the the you know it it started to become more like a soap opera, more like a uh, you know there were a lot more agonizing thought bubbles as characters you know had drama, larger serialized stories. You can see this very abrupt and, shift as and DC also, started um, to realize social issues as clumsily handed, mm-hmm. handled as they were, they were at least trying. But yeah, anyway, so so yeah, so Superman uh, was probably seeming like a bit of a relic by. Uh, the early 1970s, but that is when, around when uh, Elliot S. Megan did actually start to write the character, if I'm not mistaken, right, Charlotte? Yep, that is uh, pretty much when Elliot S. Megan got started. Uh, one of, if not his first, uh, per, uh, one of his first uh, stories was like, Must There Be a Superman, which came out in 1972, which is the first not necessarily the first time but it's it very much answers it's asking a question that the rest of his run is trying to answer which is on balance superman are you doing more good or more harm even accidentally in the case of the latter and uh yeah he definitely is spending the rest of his run answering that in various ways it has gone into a little bit in this novel although not directly and yeah that is basically the question that intrigued him and drove him throughout much of his run yeah that's uh, the other stuff of course is the luther stuff which i imagine we're going to be getting into yes yeah, yeah uh, there, there's a bit in this where uh, superman's thinking about how you know all the ceos and whatnot are very cavalier with safety stuff and you know, they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't know Superman was there to clean up their mess. And that that's mm-hmm. kind of ironically funny to me because, you know, yeah, they're really clearly. cavalier in the real world. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that is probably like this one of the subtlest, greatest jokes yeah. in there is that Superman is worried that without him around, people would be more careful. And he cites a bunch of stuff that we are doing in the real world. Right. So, right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's a good, and of course that's subtly uh, responding to people who would say that about Superman would be like, well, you know, if, if people, uh, you know, super, if Superman was there to, to save everyone, the humans wouldn't learn and grow. And, you know, whether that's true or not, the fact of the matter is, you know, he inhabits a world that is, closer to our world than maybe one would want it to be and i I really liked the point and i I don't think it was original to this novel by any by any means but they definitely had him say um where um his goal was he to allow people to make mistakes he would not the 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 essentially the explanation for why superman doesn't get involved in politics and things is that People, he needs to let people make mistakes, but he is willing to sort of clean up the mess that they might make by making those mistakes. So he wants people to, you know, he's not going to stop a war from happening because people have to learn to, like, not start wars. And if he's just coming down and punching dictators every time they start a war or whatever, he, you know, then nobody has any impetus to do anything and he's getting too involved. And, and it would sort of disrupt the balance, and there's lots of reasons not to do it. But he is, of course, willing, once the, the war starts, he's willing to catch all the nuclear missiles and throw them into the sun or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so that's a good that's a good balance. You can still argue about the morality of that, but that's a good sort of 
rationale for Superman where there can be a world that's still basically our world, but Superman still gets to do stuff, basically. There's that bit at the very beginning where uh, Clark is examining a grasshopper and uh, trying to figure out how to inoculate grasshoppers against this virus that is killing them. The idea that he cares this much about something as small as a grasshopper because you know he's got microscopic vision it's not small to him Mm -hmm. and so that is kind of where i get maggins uh elliot hope maggins (laughs) to use an awful joke where i get uh elliot maggins most uh his conception of superman as kind of a little bit someone who's not rocking the boat too much and i think i get where that is coming from based on that scene because it is casting superman into the role of humanity and its role in the broader environment where we have done a lot of disruptive things in the name of progress and in the name of what we consider good and we can see the consequences of our effect on the environment every day i still think it falls apart a little bit when you push on it too much but i get it a little better now having reread this novel yeah it's a good again it's a good story rationale and i think it's a it's a defensible moral co- place stands to take uh that you know well i could get if i start doing too much i can uh you know i can start wreaking havoc whether or not i want to uh superman as a christ figure is a is a big thing and and you can argue whether or not that's that's a good idea and whether he really is a christ figure or anything but oddly enough it is a religious rationale i've heard for uh the existence of christ the idea that you know the the, the god would create christ because he's too big to really see how to fix things on the micro level so okay. he focused himself into a human body in order to actually. Oh, you're getting gain into the Aryan heresy. Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> Let's not. Oh no! Saint Nicholas is going to be coming after me now. It's, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. so you're saying that Jesus is God's fiction? <laughs> yes. Oh God! Fact. Are that we is, doing the? That um, is essentially. What yeah. was the thing you sent to uh, Chris Sims? Is um, is the Bible a reverse Isekai? I sent that to Benito oh, yeah, okay. and yeah, and I believe Benito's answer was first of all, I hate this. Second of all, uh, and then an actual pretty serious answer, <laughs> which basically came down to yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the fact that he is, as you say, like he can he can appreciate things on an even smaller level uh, is. That's a very good way of portraying Superman's innate goodness because, you know, nothing's too small for him to care about and it would have to be because, you know, humans are or could be bugs to him if he w- if he was so inclined. Um, the thing about Superman is that if there were no planes falling out of the sky and no supervillains and no nuclear weapons that were about to go off, he would be just as happy rescuing kittens from trees and making sure that people got to work on time. It's just in his nature, he just wants to help. Mm-hmm. Superman in this book is depicted as being able to see the... Uh, how was it described again, Charlotte? The uh... the light of life. Essentially, that living things have like an aura. You could say it's a Carillion aura, but the thing about it is that since only Superman could see it, 
he never really thinks to come up with a name for it other than it's the light that living things give off. And of course, that light, when it is gone, when life is gone, it leaves an absence. And it literally makes him sick. Like when he sees, when he sees that light go out, he, he gets na nauseated. Um, and this was um, a concept that was uh, uh, adopted by uh, Mark Wade in Superman Birthright. Uh, which was a very influential yep. comic. Um, and uh, I, I had thought that Mark Wade came up with that, but uh, this was... Well, if you listen to a Mark Wade uh, interview where he talks about that, he's usually very quick to point out that, no, this comes from Miracle Monday. And that's what I was kind of talking about earlier, in that this might not necessarily be your favorite Superman story, but odds are it's the favorite Superman story of at least one of your favorite Superman writers. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, as 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 we uh, as I uh, the intro I, I gave was uh, a bit from uh, Miracle Monday and a little snippet from uh, Morrison and Quitely's All Star Superman, which seems, if not directly right. influenced, definitely thinking on similar lines of um, um, because he can see the big and small, he he, he understands the world in a way that that we don't, and that includes yeah. uh, interpersonal relationships and all that. Yeah, yeah. All-Star Superman is basically the apotheosis of the Bronze Age version of Superman, which is, of course, embodied in this novel as yeah. well. Yeah. Another way to see the world is uh, through the lens of capitalism, which means it might be time for some advertisements. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with What Mad Universe. Hi, Stu. Hi, Luke. Do you fancy doing a podcast covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs? No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor, for Animaniacs, covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games, and the movie, not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max. Oh... Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday. Dare I say it was, you know, it's the product of the 60s and 70s, this novel. You can feel this, like, there's a lot of... I, I was really impressed by how thoughtful this novel is. Like, it, it, it is definitely thinking about, uh, like, big ideas. And, you know, it's, it's you know, Megan seems to be very well-read and to have, have, you know, reached outside. Unlike a lot of, you know, a lot of comic book writers get into the trap where they only read other comic books. And he's, he's clearly got all these other Jeffrey things Jeffrey Johns? No, I'm not speaking of anyone. I would never say that anyone was like that. Uh, but yeah, he's 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 got these ideas, and there's there's these. I mean, you you want to say vaguely hippie-ish ideas, but they're they're they make sense in the context of Superman. Like we talked about, or you talk about auras, but also just you know, and yeah, being able to hear the rhythm of life, and and I mean, there's psychics in the story, which is again less you know, less crackpot in a world where there are space aliens walking around on Earth. And yeah, Lena Luthor was, was depicted as a psychic in the actual 60s comics. So <clears throat> right, that wasn't right. Yeah. unique to this, but yeah. Yeah, no, well, that's what I'm saying. You've got all these characters who are, 
you know, yeah, yeah, all these all these elements that are from the comics, but Megan seems to be developing them in a very intelligent way, I think, and 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 reflecting on them in in thoughtful ways, and of course taking Superman seriously, which you have to do. Um, you know, a lot of people would kind of be, "I'm too good for the material," and I, he he himself would was a Superman writer, so of course he's he's not going to do that way. But he's written something that is, you know, it's it's uh, well, I, I I we'll talk about that a little uh, further down the down the line, but I I think he's written something that is of a piece with the actual, with the, the quote, real literature of the period in some ways. Um, also, a lot I, of uh, celebrity cameos in this. Uh, Ray Bradbury <laughs> shows up. Describes, and Noam uh, Chomsky. Yeah. Well, I w- and he's Superman's pal. Yeah, Ray yeah. Bradbury, uh, Superman read The Martian Chronicles, which we covered a few months ago. Um, and uh, he was really impressed, so he went to meet Ray Bradbury, and they... They had a brief adventure where they tried to go to Disneyland to convince uh, Walt Disney to run for mayor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, which, which is yeah. never like they were unsuccessful, and it's never described what what happened after that. But they've been friends ever since, and Ray Bradbury lets him into a club that he was. Yeah, <laughs> the, that feels. And then they went and trained with Goku. <laughs> yeah, right. And they were fr- and they all became friends. Uh, no, it was that really feels like. It's not inconceivable at all that Megan and Bradbury knew each other and that Bradbury was like, put me in a Superman story, and he did that. Like, Because that seems like the kind of thing Ray Bradbury would do, from what I know about the guy. The magician that uh, Superman goes to, um, and I forget his Max name. Max Mervins. Yeah, he's, he was a real guy. Um, oh, really? Yeah, not actually. He no, never claimed to be psychic, but he was actually a real uh, stage magician. Well, see, yeah, this was the era of like Yuri Geller and all these kind of yeah, guys too. So but I don't think this guy sense. actually ever claimed to be really psychic, unlike Yuri Geller and stuff. Hmm. Okay. But he is really he... psychic in this book. But that's because it's a you know universe where Superman and Mixie's Pitlick exists. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Also, the literal devil yep. shows up. <laughs> we'll discuss yep, that. that too. Um, of the celebrity but, um, cameo. Yeah, yeah. So going going back to. Uh, but yeah, so Lex Luthor in this book as well. So this is this is actually something that I find really interesting because um, Lex Luthor, to me, uh, my idea Lex Luthor is a fairly recent creation in some ways. I know he wasn't like, for instance, he wasn't usually framed as a ultra-capitalist big businessman as, as his no- natural habitat. Uh, until I believe John Burns' run in 1986. That's where they really formalized the idea that oh, Luther's the head of a massive corporation. So he's a he's a you know tech bro of the era. Yeah, um, he's he was explicitly modeled on Donald Trump as a lot of villains were. Yeah, and but are. but also yeah, but but also like and, and then there's there's things like um, uh, stories that started to paint the idea that. Uh, Luther was kind of Randian, like he he saw saw he saw you know you know the idea of like of his selfishness and and brutality and cruelty, but they were virtues, and it's because it's you know about human potential, and I believe you know, and he's got that sort of semi sympathetic thing going on where he believes in you know the value of human potential, and and in fact he's sometimes been characterized as. A guy who kind of goes, well, humans can have all this potential, and Superman's taking that away from us by showing us up all the time, and that's kind of, you know, in in a weird warped way, you can kind of go, okay, that that that's that's got a certain 
tinge of nobility to it, even though it's self-serving and rationalizing. He's, you know, you can see that he's got a, a worldview that is consistent, that isn't just, mwaha, I want to do evil, right? And, and and even the to the point of, you know, I'm the good guy and Superman's the bad guy, and none of those fools can see it. Uh, that's been a that's been a characterization of Lex Luthor over the years. Um, I'm interested that in this book and in some of the earlier, like which predates the Burn Run and some of the earlier uh, Lex Luthers that we've that that existed, especially from what I can tell in the Bronze Age, he went from being a goofy mad scientist who was always being thrown in jail by Superman at the end of the episode to you can see him being a capitalist and being a tech bro in this in this. Uh, in this novel, he's still a guy who has to escape from jail, but he has this whole persona. He's got, you know, tons of money stocked, socked around. He's got, you know, 8 million different contingency plans, personas, and all these resources that he can access to. That was really interesting to me. Yeah, he uh, basically, partway through the novel, they established that he has tons of holdings both legitimate and illegitimate that he puts on and takes off disguises like you would a pair of shoes and uh you could make an argument that the corporate take on luther stems out of this but the thing about the corporate take on luther is that that corporatism is the end that uh, justifies the means for the post-crisis Luther, and here it is just a means to an end of I'm going to show them all and I'm going to get one over on Superman because I just hate that guy so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. There, there's really interesting stuff about uh, Luther's various aliases in this. Uh, one, that um, he never bothered to look into, he knew Superman had a secret identity of some sort, but he never bothered to look into it because he figured Superman had a bunch of them like he did. And that if he just right. unmasked one of them, he'd just have others. So, like, he thought, yeah, um, and... uh, oh, sorry, um, blanking on that, Pete Ross was Superman. And, you know, maybe Bruce right. Wayne is Edge. Superman. Yeah, Morgan Edge, maybe. Right. Maybe Bruce Wayne he, is Superman. Maybe, he, he believes yeah. that Superman would be would be powerful even in his, like, a, a big guy, a yeah. big, powerful guy even in his... You know, I like one of them life. that it, one of the aliases yes. he assumed that Superman probably was was Muhammad Ali. So I guess Superman's <laughs> putting on blackface and being a boxer. That's okay. That's saying more about you, <laughs> Lex, than anybody else. But yeah, it does tie that. And they back clearly to that fought each other. About. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, look, Superman can like move back and forth faster than the speed of light, so he can appear to be in two places at once. <laughs> What are they teaching you in school? <laughs> Anyways, uh, that ties back into the thing that we were talking about at the beginning, which is that Luther assumes that Superman, if he has a secret identity, it will be the standard pulp secret identity of a man of means. Yep. And he just cannot understand that Superman, given that he could be anybody that he wanted, that he'd be just a good, normal person. He never really thinks about how Superman would have such a capacity for love that he would even love a version of himself that he basically made up. Hmm. Yeah. Um, there also on, on the, the identity front, um, there, there's a part where it's a flashback to, um, um, Lex and, uh, Clark just out of, um, um, just coming out of Smallville and they're attending Metropolis university, uh, Lex in secret. Like he has one of his identities set up where he is a, uh, fake wig or no a fake nose on um, 
and um, he's um, he was uh, interviewing Clark, thinking that he, all, all the time that he was um, pulling one on on this rube that he used to know back in Smallville. And um, at the end, Clark just says, "Who do you think you're fooling, Lex?" And um, yeah. uh, then sends him a letter saying, um, "Look, I, I know um, you could." escape into any one of these identities and do a legitimate things and help humanity and, and be a, a good, you know, person. And the only thing stopping you is that Superman could find you. Well, I have a secret that I can let you in on if you come and meet me that will get Superman off your back. And um, Lex just thinks um, that he's just going to kidnap Clark at that point and make Clark reveal his secret. And as he's about to, uh, as he's stalking Clark, and Clark gets sort of ahead of him. Uh, he feels Superman pick him up, and the last thing he thinks before he gets um, knocked out is, "Damn! Now I'll never know Clark, Clark Kent's secret." Yeah. yeah. The it's like the ultimate apotheosis of uh, that famous, I believe it was Paul Levitz, who had this quote that the entire genre of comics superheroes rests on the point of a guy puts on a pair of glasses and that's a perfect disguise. It is definitely shows that this is a world where that works, yeah. where nobody will, where if you put on a pair of disguise of glasses in order to uh, make yourself a, look like a different person, not only will that work under casual observation, it'll work because it won't occur to anybody else. Right. Yeah. I always like the idea that Lex Luthor literally, like, he's he, maybe he started to maybe get an inkling of, wait, maybe Clark Kent is just Superman with glasses on, but that's so absurdly simple, and for him not to have realized it would drive him insane with rage so he refuses to accept it like it's it's it's, it's actually hiding a, in plain it's sight it's actually a, a story in the um in the 90s i think in the burn run where lex Luthor figures out that that superman is clark kent but then at the end he dismisses the idea because why would first of all superman why would he have a secret identity he doesn't wear a mask or gloves and second if he did it wouldn't be this wimp right exactly if uh, Luther ever, Luther can't really figure that out, at least in my conception of the Bronze Age version of the character, because figuring that out would mean having to admit that Superman managed to fool him for all these years. And in other words, that would mean that Lex Luthor, smartest man in the world, made a mistake. Yeah. And if you're Lex Luthor, that is the last thing you can admit to yourself. Yeah, I, I love that idea that he, he he's a guy who, on one level, is always outplaying himself. <laughs> Basically, he's a guy who's so smart, he can't be stupid, and that trips him up so many ways. Or he can't be simple, and that trips yeah. him up in so many different ways. I love ways. how and convoluted some of his plans are here. Like, he... Yeah, um, yeah. He, like, he makes super weapons, and he stashes them by disguising them as modern art pieces by an artist right. who he invented. Um, and uh, when he needs to, to get them, he, 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 like, fakes the artist's death and then has the brother of the artist, who's just an actor he hired, and a millionaire who's, a, who's another person he made up and hired an actor to pretend to be him, fight over it in a, at an auction, and uh, this is all just so he can get his hands on one of these super weapons that he made. And yeah, it's like ridiculously convoluted, but it, it really fits his character. 
He is Rick Sanchez, essentially. That's not that's not a totally original character. He's coming out of Lex Luthor, essentially, in some ways. Yeah, and I like that a lot because it allows Superman to be clever in return, just like he is at the climax of this novel when you realize that he has been one step ahead all along. Yep. Yep. And and it's it you know it, it is interesting just to transition a bit from that into um just to go back to uh, Lex Luthor as you know corporate hotshot. Um, I don't think there's as much distance between Luthor as a multi gajillionaire who only does it so he can crime better and luther is a guy who likes the power and wealth and and sitting on top of the world that he gets from being a corporate guy i have to admit i have a sympathy for i I do kind of i do like this version of luther who's just got 500 plates spinning at all times and he could be a multi-billionaire anytime he felt like it because he's so smart but he's more concentrated on you know on winning the game with Superman and so on. Uh, but I do like the idea of him as a corporate overlord as well. I am somewhat in that mode. But it does make sense because I, I feel like at the end of the day, Luther's a guy who's not going to be willing to go to jail. No matter how easily he can break out, uh, the idea of him in jail is, you know, it's too humiliating for him. And to make himself, you know, the ruler of Earth, this powerful corporate leader... Um, you know, that would obviously have, even if you do say, yeah, all he really cares about is the game and proving himself to be the best of the best and the, the most brilliant man on earth and having the masses worship him or proving to himself that he's worthy of worship or whatever you want to say is driving him, his ego. I, I think being this super powerful uh, oligarch is a, a logical phase for him because that, you know, that frees him up for from having to worry about all these other issues. Plus, of course, just from a thematic point of view, it's actually better because it positions Superman as this man of the people, the, this guy with godlike powers, but he is a man of the people, versus a guy with all the temporal powers of Earth. Uh, so it feels like a bit more of a fair fight because, yeah, Luke, Lex Luthor can't punch through, you know, p- punch planets out of orbit, but he has insane resources to pull on. And um, on top of that, that gives him sort of a propaganda uh, channel on top of Superman. There's a, there's actually a Scott McCloud story that I really like from the 90s, actually based on the uh, Superman cartoon that they did, uh, where there's a kid who his two biggest heroes in life are Superman and Lex Luthor. Because he doesn't really understand that they're opposed to each other. Luthor doesn't openly go out going, I'm going to crush you, Superman. He, he pretends to be like, oh, Superman, yeah, Superman, good for him. He tries to destroy him in private. Uh, I find that to be a really interesting take on Lex Luthor as well, because he's, he, he doesn't he doesn't openly flaunt his supervillainy. He actually likes the idea that people kind of people kind of go along with him. Uh, we were talking a little bit uh, before the show about this, uh, but we've had that recent mini series called "The Three Jokers," <laughs> where the premise is I'm going to become the Three Jokers, <laughs> and the premise is that there's three Jokers, of course, and I think Joker innately is a much more fluid character that there doesn't need to be three Jokers. But I will say that I do think you could make a case 
for a miniseries called The Two Luthers because Bronze Age Luther and Iron Age Luther mm-hmm. or post-crisis Luther, depending on how you talk about it, they are both very fascinating characters. They both have a lot to say about the human condition and they both have very interesting relationships with Superman, but they're both very different characters in a way that can sometimes be difficult to square the circle on because Bronze Age Luther is a bit more sympathetic like that anecdote we were talking about earlier where Superman is as Clark Kent is trying to give him an out he would never give that out to like corporate overlord Lex Luthor or at least it would ring a little bit differently when he's giving that out to Bronze Age Lex it is an old friend saying I'm just checking in I you don't have to be you don't have to be doing you don't have to do this you don't have to act like this i want my friend back and i want to give you every chance that i can in order to come back and of course the tragedy of bronze age luther is that he never fully takes that step but the interesting thing is that he never fully rejects it either like that thing at the ending of this novel where Luther had an opportunity to potentially damn Superman to hell and he couldn't bring himself to do it. And he says it's for selfish reasons. Nobody gets to kill Superman but me. But maybe it's not for selfish reasons. Maybe it's for selfless ones and he just doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. I feel like just on a philosophical level, you can still say, you know, Superman would want to redeem everyone in the world if he could. And he would want, you know, he could see what in Luther you know, what a person he is and how he has that potential. It's true they don't have as close a relationship, but I do like that idea that, you know, that that even the corporate Luther is not out of hope of redemption for Superman. You know, as much as they've often been compared and paralleled with, like, fascist heroes, and that thread is certainly there because they're uber-mentioned, they're, you know, uh, eugenicist in some ways, they're the, the idealist characters but through especially through superman there's also that element whereby they are um they are literally like the idea of a little person raised up usually by you know freak accidents or whatever uh to the position of being able to do good in the world um and to stand against you know the forces of you know not just evil but the forces of the world um of the of the four original superheroes that are still resonating today, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Superman, and Captain America, uh, three of them were all created specifically with kind of a a liberal mindset of, you know, Captain America's there to fight the Nazis, obviously. Wonder Woman's there to be a role model for girls and to, you know, promote equality of the sexes. Uh, And Superman is, you know, he's a crusading journalist. He's, he's, He's there to fight social evils and to push back against them. Only... Bruce Wayne is the character who could be considered as this sort of top-down, powerful guy. And even then, he fights, you know, corruption and, and, and gangsters and so on. And But he's, he's the, of the four characters, he's the one that, you know, is a bit problematic in that regard. But I, I definitely feel like you can see this thread throughout the history of superheroes where they're, they're, they're the embodiment of the little guy and they're the embodiment of the community coming together. You know, p- people have said Superman could be seen as kind of an... And again, the superhero in general as a concept could be seen as an embodiment of the New Deal, the FDR era. 
they're both of those strains of superheroic thought and dozens of others besides have definitely resonated with the concept of the superhero throughout the years because the it's an idea it's a genre and the rules are there only as long as they are written and drawn to be there and they can be written and drawn another way and the genre and the characters inside of the genre have passed through many hundreds of hands and gone through many decades of reinvention. So I think you could find pretty much whatever you want to look for in the superhero genre if you want. I could take a look at this novel and say that it is Superman as the ultimate uh, centrist if I wanted to bag on it. Like the guy who doesn't do too much, the guy who even in the face of a demonic uh, presence will still not act because that action will result in the death of one innocent person. And you can say that that is incredibly naive and you could also say that that is just simply accepting that uh that the stat that you could say that that is a, an enforcement of the status quo you can also say that it is a profound moral statement that superman understands the actual stakes here which is that the material world matters nothing to cw saturn he's here for superman's soul and if he does not want Superman to die, he wants Superman to be damned. And if I wanted, and like you said, you could uh, take that as a profoundly Christ-like statement. You could also say that it is profoundly humanist, like there's just us in here together and we're all we've got. And it will surprise nobody in this podcast to learn that there are, yes, many, many different takes on Superman. And obviously we're going to gravitate towards the ones which we find interesting and then align with our own worldview. Yeah, yeah, that's kind well, of the it's... problem with having a character who embodies goodness. You know, everybody has there are at least varying degrees room. of... What that places means. for positive interpretation, such as the modern conception of Superman, where Lois is essentially a fully equal partner, because you go back into the Bronze Age and you read that scene in Superman's ap Clark Kent's apartment, which has been ransacked by people who wanted bits and pieces of this creation of Superman, and everybody is just kind of in mourning because they realize Clark Kent was a was to at least a Superman a real person and now he is gone and he and Lois have that very difficult conversation in the wreckage of that apartment where you start to twig that maybe this can't go on forever and still be a healthy relationship maybe it actually isn't already a healthy relationship and so I do think that it is good that we can reinterpret that and go okay what does a healthy relationship look like between Lois Lane and Superman yeah a lot of um not not to get into modern movies, but even like Smallville had like um, uh, Lois being there from the inception of the creation of Superman, like helping Clark figure out um, um, aspects of his of what he's going to be doing as Superman. So um, yeah, yeah, that, that's sort I, of a, I, I a modern take that I, I do appreciate the idea that uh, Lois is in on it uh, from the beginning and. Um, 
Well, I like. I don't like that she's in on it from the beginning. I actually, as somebody pointed out, the one of the most satisfying Lois narratives is that yeah, she starts out not knowing Clark Kent is Superman, and you can of course get some good, you know, both hijinks and drama and so forth out of that. But then eventually, she does actually figure out that he's Superman. And uh, as somebody's pointed out, I it, it, it I do like the version where she actually does figure out his secret identity. Um, and then, then they become partners, and they're both they they work together, and often in in some continuities they've been married, and and yeah. so forth. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that that's I think that's what happened in the in the um, in the comics in the nineties, right? She figured out, yeah. and uh, I they believe also, they also did that on Lois and Clark, which is sort of that and the animated series is a Superman I grew up with. Uh, unfortunately, Dean Cain is. A, piece of crap but you know what are you gonna do <laughs> i think it is heavily implied throughout the bronze age that lois has figured it out she is just waiting for superman to tell him but it is not that consistent a characterization yeah, very yeah. much there's in also silver um, age and you'll see like there's a lot less of that in the bronze age where they are trying to develop lois as a bit more of a character not so much in this novel because the three main characters in this novel are superman lex Luthor, and cw saturn yeah right but, but the she, literal devil yeah <laughs> the literal devil uh who superman outsmarts and <laughs> yeah well you always outsmart the devil that's what that's what the, that's you do in stories with the, the devil yep like but, and the thing is like he doesn't he outsmarts luther and he also beats the devil by maintaining the moral high ground. Right. And just, and also it's like a foe which Superman's power is, it's not something he can just beat the snot out of. It's, he has to be clever and he has to be good. And that's a very satisfying ending. That's why it's got such a, a satisfying last few pages on it. Yeah. It's, it's Superman basically going, well, you know, if I, if I, I could solve all this by killing this one innocent person who is the possessed, the woman who's been possessed by uh, CW Saturn and who is wreaking havoc on the world via her. And the obvious solution is you kill this woman and you save everyone on earth. And Superman, I, I like that Superman actually makes the point that like, I haven't actually, <laughs> she, ha she, he, Saturn technically hasn't done anything because I've stopped him every every time so far. He hasn't hurt anyone because like I've just saved everyone's people, life so far. He could kill people, but he hasn't. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, so technically, really he's do not a murderer any... yet. Yeah, like uh, it, he makes the point that um, killing people probably wouldn't even suit his purposes because it would be um, he, he wants to corrupt people. So if he just yeah, but he also them, yeah. he needs to he needs to put them at risk so Superman will save them. So yeah. he's like he's perfectly willing to kill them. It's just that you know Superman. You know, he, he wants to tire out Superman by having well, to save people all the time. It, and it also, that it also says that uh, uh, he'd, he'd prefer to, like, tempt somebody into, into like, he doesn't really care about human life. It's not that he's trying to preserve them. But uh, just killing a, a good soul isn't going to do him any good. He has to corrupt them. Right. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, he needs to get Superman to kill that good soul because, like, the existence of the devil would imply the existence of heaven, at least you would hope. And so, in the face of an immortal afterlife, what is the material world? And so, of course, C.W. Saturn doesn't care about the material. He cares about the spiritual. And that is the true battle, is that Superman can stay true to his ideals even in the face of the ultimate adversary. Um, I just wanted to actually talk about how this um, this book 
works as a structural thing because it's very interesting to me. Um, it's it's actually a very like I say as I was saying at the beginning, it's it's a pretty sophisticated book structurally speaking. Um, it it feels of a piece with the book that we talked about a while back, which is uh, the Illuminatus trilogy of all things. Um, there was a certain consistency there in that it it goes into all these weird digressions and the and the world of the Illuminatus trilogy is not inconsistent with the world of a superhero universe. Uh, it's got the same kind of you know crazy weird nonsense going off. This whole secret world that uh, you know intersects with our own on occasion and and makes things make less sense if possible and it's kind of a warped reflection of our own, but also just these weird digressions. Um, and, and the way that the story unfolds in, uh, it, it did actually feel like a comic book writer in the sense that every chapter kind of feels like an issue of a comic in its own way. Like there's, there'll be some weird digression every single chapter, like the chapter about Lex Luthor going underground as both sides of a, and the artist who's being bid on for an, an art war about an artist. Like that's this whole bizarre digression but it's very entertaining and it felt like you know oh this was the idea I and had it this fits one. in thematically with other yeah it's oh, like yeah. It, it all oh yeah it, it, it works as part of the story absolutely but it's also just like you didn't need to go to all this crazy stuff uh, it, it, to just explain lex luther is out and about and hatching schemes to bring down superman you could have just skipped to that and instead it felt like well i've got an idea for this month's issue and it's lex luther you know, creates a bidding war on his own artwork, and it's all a satire of the art world of the the early 80s. And, like, it, it's a whole other package in and of itself that feels like a little self-contained narrative. Well, it is. Just as there's, you know, narratives about, you know, C.W. Saturn in hell and Superman flying off to listen to the rhythm of Earth after Clark Kent is, uh, his secret identity is destroyed. It's It's both episodic. It fits together very naturally but it has a very episodic feel where just all these crazy things are happening every every chapter i also liked uh, you were pointing this out when we were talking the other day um um when uh, it, it lists uh, the things that uh, cw saturn is doing to like mess up the structural reality of the earth and it lists them in bullet points like uh made a 10 am 10 amazing violations of the laws of physics <laughs> the seventh one may surprise you yeah but it's yeah. it's it's an interesting way of demons it from very, hell hate this one these, weird trick that superman yeah. uses <laughs> but yeah. these very um uh very bizarre things but uh stated them very matter-of-factly like this is just a list of things that he did which includes like making people so big they couldn't get out of a building and uh uh, making like even some horrifying things like um, uh, parents suddenly couldn't remember what their children's faces look like. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff like that. Just uh, I don't necessarily. I don't know if I want to say it sounds biblical, but it has that vibe of a of a a slight religious horror to it. Something yeah. divine and incomprehensible has happened that is awesome and terrible in the way that awesome and terrible in the way those words used to mean. Yeah. 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 It's well, like, there's literally a plague of locusts at one point. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There, it's definitely meant to be Superman versus the apocalypse in this story. That is definitely in a comic booky way, but that is, I, I I'm quite sure that was the intent that it was the, you know, he, that he was facing off against a biblical plague and a, and a, and an apocalyptic, uh, possible end of the world 
which is of course the average Monday for a superhero, but uh, here there it takes on a particular sort of biblical resonance. The chapter that sticks with me is the one about the time traveler Wells as she is writing her diary. And you can tell that she is possessed, but she can't tell that she's possessed. That's the sort of thing you could only really do, or at least do in this way in a novel. And I think that's one of the strengths of Miracle Mondays, is that there are many, many, many great Superman comics. Many truly great Superman comics. But Miracle Monday, there are good Superman novels, there are very good ones, but I think Miracle Monday is one of maybe two or three truly great ones. And it is basically taking the exact same continuity of the comics, but filtering it through a different medium. It is, and it's a medium, and it plays to that medium's strength by having long chapters where you can get contemplative, where you can... Uh, establish Clark as just a guy who's a bit of a dreamer because he can see all these wonderful things where you can have a digression with Luther or where you can have uh, the private diary of a time traveler who's traveled back to find out how a holiday from the future got started. It's a very well, it's a very good usage of the medium to take a look at the same thing from a different angle. And I think that's why uh, so many people love it so because it's not something that you typically saw in those Bronze Age comics is an examination of what's going on in this way and at this depth look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's the end of the podcast as ever we were Philip Rice mild-mannered newspaperman and Adam Prosser, bow-tie-wearing cub reporter, and our special guest was Charlotte Finn, fast-talking girl journalist. And as always, we want to say thanks to Alex Ross, producer, engineer, and cigar-chomping editor, and Jack Furick, who wrote our theme song and fights a never-ending battle for true justice in the American way. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Charlotte Finn. You can find me on Twitter at, at @bycharlottefinn. And you can find my website, charlottearielfin.com. I link to a lot of the criticism and the prose and the comics that I write. Uh, currently, my project with, uh, po- I believe, one-time guest on this podcast, Ing? Twice. Yep. He's been on twice. Yeah, Ing has been on here twice. And Ing and I, the Ing and I, to make a terrible musical pun, uh... We do a webcomic together that is about to launch into its second chapter. It is at whatisbrandecho.com, and it is about mourning and feeling sad and media environment and how it uh, seeps into our lives. And also, there is a monster that is a D&D mimic, but it's an Amazon delivery box. <laughs> uh, do check it out. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast, Adam and Philip. I had a great time. You are welcome, Charlotte. Glad to have you. This has been a great discussion. You too can be a Superman by subscribing to our Patreons uh, to pay for hosting costs and incidentals. If you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting uh, bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Uh, This particular episode on our Patreon uh, is extra long. Uh, The uh, freely available public version will be shorter. Uh, Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice with one L or Adam Prosser with two S's 
or neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me or Spear Halfock with an F underscore for Philip. And if you've been enjoying the show, we'd really, really appreciate it if you could write us a review on Apple iTunes, especially, uh, which would really help boost our profile and reach more people with this show. So that's the end for now, but will we be back in two weeks? Maybe we will, Lois. Maybe we will. Maybe we will.